The sabbatical that I just completed for the month of October, the seeds of it were planted exactly one year ago this weekend. Some of you may remember, if you were around then, that this was the first of, I think, 12 Sundays in a row that I hobbled up here into this pulpit because I had just broken a bone, although I didn't quite know it at the time back then, right here in my foot and my ankle playing squash with a friend and a colleague of mine. Now, some very beneficial things came out of being sort of shut down for the next three months because of this injury. It helped me deepen my contemplative practice. It helped me slow down in an on-demand world, particularly at the time of the year around the holidays when so many things get sped up and we can feel driven to go and go and go and then wonder why the holidays aren't exactly what we want them to be. But there was some less beneficial things that happened as well, too. See, mostly throughout my 20s, I was pretty much of a sloth. I was not a good steward of my physical energies. And for most of the 30s, that changed. And so this is the longest time that I had been on the shelf physically for months. And I really started to sense myself getting antsy and a little anxious. And so as soon as I got that big plastic boot and that cane, I was able to set those down. If you remember those, if you were around back then. I started looking for an outward bound course. I don't know exactly what made me do it. Someone, sometime, somewhere in my past, whispered in my ear, outward bound, you'll love it. And I looked for one and I found something called, which sounds like a cruise line, adult renewal. Adult renewal, 30 and up, the oldest age range they have for outward bound hiking and mountain climbing. And I found one October 8th to the 15th. And there were the seeds of my sabbatical planted when I registered last spring. Now, there is a lot that I learned from my outward bound course in Pisgah National Forest in western North Carolina. I learned, and for me, this is incredible. I learned that you can give me a five by seven or a four by six tarp and a few lines of pea cord and I can keep the rain off my head. Now, for some of you, that is not an incredible thing. But if you were around at the end of September, remember that the last time I ever went camping, I was four years old and my very being so rebelled against it that I threw a fever of 104 degrees and then my parents drove back wondering what was wrong with me and I was cool as a cucumber by the time I got home. So for me to be able to fashion my own shelter from just a few ropes and a little tarp, that's an incredible thing for me. On an even deeper level, I experienced very quickly through these eight days, a sense of connection and teamwork with the seven other folks and the two other instructors who are on my outward bound course that I had never experienced so quickly in my life. And I think it was because from the very outset, we had this sense that we were all in this together. I know there were some very experienced campers and there were some people like me who didn't know how to set up the tarp. And I was also one out of two people on the course who had never done something else, which is, excuse me, but poop in the woods. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Eventually. So that sense of teamwork, of being there for each other, with each other, supporting each other, nourishing each other, was absolutely incredible. And it happened so quickly in that learning environment of Outward Bound. But I want to tell you what I really learned from and learned with the most. I learned how to work with pain. You see, when I injured my foot, what happened 
one of the things I found out the months after when I was healing, my foot was healing, is that it exacerbated lower back pain that I've been struggling with for some years. I'm not unlike many other people in their 40s who try to keep physically fit and active who are dealing with lower back pain. It's very, very common. Now, add to that, carrying a 50-pound pack on my back every day from about 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., up and down mountains, going up a 1,000 feet in elevation, going down a 1,000 feet in elevation, it started to hurt a little bit. And so every break, every break that we got, I was down in the pose, cat, cow, cat, cow, cat. Cat, cow, just trying to strengthen out my back, but really I got to tell you what provided me the most relief was this. This was me most of the time during our breaks on the course. I mean, because it was pretty cold where we were and laying on the ground was like applying this amazing cold pack to my back and just absorbing all the energy. And actually, that was the second to last day. And that's the high ropes course I had just completed, which was the most exhilarating things I had ever 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 done and so actually i was pretty blissful right there but most of the times when i was in that position i wasn't blissful at all i was just trying to loosen up my back now when i say what most marked my outward bound experience was pain i don't mean to say i am grateful for the pain itself that would be masochistic but i do mean to say this that i was grateful for the opportunity to work with the pain I had moments of checking out, of taking myself elsewhere. I had moments during my climb up and down the mountains and dealing with this pain. And it is a professional preoccupation of ministers who I can turn this into great preaching material. And that was taking myself away. That was checking out. And there were moments when I looked ahead and looked ahead and looked ahead and thought, okay, we'll be there eventually. And all this pain will go away and I can lay back down on the ground. But... Most of the time, I did not do that. Most of the time, I vowed to work with what was ever going on in my back and to pay attention. I recognized in myself that I was struggling, particularly on those long walks up the mountain. And I kept looking up and said, aha, see the clearing at the end. We must be going to flat ground. But no, it was just another switchback and another switchback and another switchback after that. And I recognized I was struggling with a kind of someday syndrome. When I get there, the pain will end. When I get there, when I get to the end of the day. And really what I was doing was I was giving away the day. This natural beauty. This ability to be able to use my body wisely. And to be in the company of these great people. I was giving away the day. And so you know what I return to? What we do here every week at Wellsprings. We want to enter heaven on earth. All we need is one conscious step. And one conscious breath. Because once I took my eyes off the horizon, brought them back down to my steps, one of the things that I recognized is that one step at a time, one breath at a time, the pain was still there, but I could do it. That's what made it easy. This decision not to check out, it is for all of us a moment-to-moment 
choice. We can't just say we make it once and then we're past it. This decision not to check out, but to check back in and to make our lives workable and to work with what is there. It is a moment to moment decision in our lives. And no one of us, not one of us, certainly not me, gets it right all the time. I got to tell you, my first day back from Outward Bound, I was so jazzed about my experience that I woke up, I think at 630 or 7 in the morning, and I got to work cleaning out my closets. And I made piles of stuff that I was going to give away that I didn't wear anymore. And then I went down the gym and I hit the gym hard and then I went out and I went shopping and I cleaned the house and by the time my wife had come back because I was still on sabbatical I had made her a candlelit dinner and wow I had so much energy I was so alive and so vital and the next day I got up again early and I put on all of my fleece that I had bought for my outward bound course that had been laundered like seriously laundered because if you ever have gone eight days without showering and you've been wearing synthetics for that entire time, you will recognize that there is a stink that you produce that you never thought you could smell that bad. So everything was cleaned and everything was laundered and I put it all on up early and I sat on my butt and I watched horror movies for eight straight hours. <laughs> and I ate nothing but taco flavored Dorito chips. <laughs> but... I knew I was doing it. And I gave myself that full day of being slothful. See, because not checking out and not turning away really is not about effort. I know people who are all about, there's always some kind of uh, thing that they're doing to better themselves. And they're always engaging and they're always effortful. But the problem is sometimes that can be a way of turning away from our lives too. It's not about the outward effort that predicts how checked in we are or how checked out we are. It has much more to do with an attitude and a question that we must ask ourselves on a regular basis if we want to make our lives workable. Are we living in touch with what is right here and right now? See, because the problem with checking out on a regular basis is that it becomes a very hard habit to break. If we check out on a regular basis from our lives, it actually becomes, I believe, the worst of all habits because so many other bad habits come from checking out. Addiction and cruelty and lack of love and lack of compassion and lack of connection and lack of kindness. This comes from checking out of our lives on a regular basis. There's a great example of this. A lot of you know The Office, you know, the TV show, the American version. So Michael Scott was the uh, was the boss for the first, I think, six years and just left the show, the actor who played him. The first, I'd say, six months or so of the show when it aired. In 2005, he was just kind of an ass. He was just a complete jerk. There was nothing to sympathize in him. I think they recognized that was not sustainable because people would stop tuning in. And so they started to give a little bit more of Michael Scott's backstory. And we recognize that the reason he was such a buffoon so much of the time is that he was really desperately lonely. The reason he had to have all of his employees like him and he couldn't manage them is because he wanted to be their friend. He was so hungry for friendship. And in really a, an episode that I think aired about six months in, there's a, an office email going around, an evite that's inviting everyone to a party that the cool guy, Jim, who Michael Scott really wants to be his best friend, is, is throwing this party. And Michael isn't invited. And he knows this, and everyone else knows this, but he plays off like he's not hurt when, in fact, he's very deeply wounded. He says, it's okay. I'm going to my improv class tonight. Now, how many of you have ever done any acting or any improv? Okay, a few of you. 
Improv is all about being in the moment and giving yourself over to the moment and working with what is there and not turning away. Now, Michael, so anxious, so wounded, even though he says, I'm going to improv and I love it, I'm a great improv actor, he doesn't improv at all. Every scene that he does ends up like this with him in it. Michael Scarn, FBI, freeze, I've got a gun. Michael Scarn, FBI, freeze, I've got to get everyone. And you can see the other actors that he's working with just kind of drooping and losing it because he's not entering into the place. He's not entering into the place where he's working with what is there. See, when we check out regularly from our lives because of shame or blame or pain or any of the other kinds of afflictive emotions that Michael Scott is actually really has inside of him. When we check out regularly from our lives, we find out eventually we cannot do it selectively. If we want to check out from the quote-unquote bad stuff, what we will find is that we will also miss all the good stuff. If we want to check out from feeling rotten about ourselves, we will also find that we are checked out from joy and creativity and love and all the things in life that help us to flow. And so taking that regular moment-to-moment vow not to check out means very simply we're going to pay attention. And when we pay attention, amazing, wonderful things will happen. Very often we assume that we don't want to check into our lives because what we find there, we say it won't change. And if I acknowledge it, then it will get even worse. But in fact, the opposite is true. The more that we resist The more things do not change, the more we check in, the more things can actually change. I found this literally in my back when I was on that course. At some of my deepest moments of physical pain, I found something remarkable. If I paid attention to it, the pain changed. Sometimes simply by breathing differently, sometimes by adjusting my pack, sometimes by taking shorter steps, sometimes by taking longer steps. It was amazing. Things changed moment to moment to moment. It was my attitude and my fear that led me to believe that the pain was going to define my entire existence. See, we can check in to what is there. We can build space around something that we are experiencing, even if it is difficult. By paying attention, we allow it not to define us. I mean, i got to tell you how many times on course I re-entered the oldest story in my mind, the least effective story I've ever told myself, which is being an enthusiast, which is falling in love with the idea of something or someone and then recognizing that it's not all. How could this be? It's not all that I made it up to be. And then growing disappointed and disillusioned and saying this sucks and wanting to take my toys and go home or go elsewhere. But by stepping away from the story that we will tell ourselves, we allow the experience to be just as it is. One of the other things I did during my retreat was I deepened my opportunity to know how to teach mindfulness. I'm in a mindfulness teacher training that is continuing through this month. And my teacher, the teacher of the teachers, the head of the mindfulness center at the Integrative Medicine Center at Jefferson University Hospital, She studied this, and she says that when we have a really strong emotion, it could be very strong positive, very strong negative, about the first 90 seconds of the experience is the emotion itself. To perpetuate it, you know what we need to do? We start telling ourselves a story. Just like I did when I was in course. 
oh, this was such a good idea six months ago, and the idea of it was great, but now I'm here, and it, why did I do this? I was stupid. I'm a loser. I'm a victim. The story kicks in. It's not that all our stories that we tell ourselves are wrong, but we have to know that we're telling ourselves a story in the first place before we can decide to choose, is this a beneficial story or is it a harmful story? Seeing we check in and allow ourselves to have this kind of honesty and presence, it also opens ourselves up to real connection with our fellow human beings. There was one day when I was coming back down off of a mountain. And going off and down was so much harder than going up. Because that 50 pounds just kept wanting to tip me over and my back was aching on this day. And it was the last couple hours of a day in which we've been hiking for about 12 straight hours. Except for those moments when I'd stop for snack and do cat-cow and cat-cow and lay down on the ground. And I had put myself in the front because I didn't want to show my other, I didn't want to show my face, gritted teeth. And I was just at that place, maybe you know this yourself too, where the physical pain starts. And it starts to edge into that mental frustration as well, too. And that mental frustration starts to take on the edge of a a little bit of panic. And the panic starts to edge towards that place of catastrophe. Oh, my God, they're going to have to leave me out here. I'm going to have to quit the course. I'm going to have to go home. And it starts and it starts and it starts. And a friend of mine on the course, a guy named Dan, we found out that every night we'd like to meditate before bed. And so very often we'd go out and we'd find a beautiful tree and we'd sit under it, except for the four or five nights when it was pouring down rain, in which case we merely zipped ourselves up in our sleeping bag. I would clap my hands once to start the meditation, clap my hands at the end when it seemed like 20 minutes, and then we'd both completely pass out because it had been such an exhausting day. But Dan came around to the front. He must have sensed something in me. He said, Ken, you come back to the back. And we've been walking about another half mile or so, and he stopped me. He probably heard me continuing to grunt. And he said, you need to stop. Put your pack down. And he started taking out all the extra things that I was carrying and each of us were carrying for other people in our team and on our course. And he ended up taking about 20 pounds off my back distributing it through the other members of the team who were all more than willing to give me a hand. They had my back. But only because I was willing in the first place to admit that I was struggling. I could have continued on in the front and not allowed people to see my face. But in a moment when I had to admit that I needed help, that is also admitting that we can work with what is here in our lives. It is a moment of inhabiting our lives. Like an ancient Jewish story says, an aged rabbi had a vision one day of heaven. And he said, God will only ask him one question. Not, Rabbi, were you not Moses? Why were you not Rabbi Zeusia? Why were you not yourself? Work with our lives. Take off that vacancy sign that sometimes we hang inside of our own hearts and work with what is here. Occupying our lives is not about territoriality. It's not about protecting our turf. It is about opening ourselves up to recognize that the final story of our lives has not been written yet. We allow ourselves to perceive what is really here, showing up for our lives with real love and real gratitude 
and real compassion and real presence. My favorite version of the metta meditation, of the loving kindness meditation, concludes towards the end of this heart opening practice with these words. By participating in the practice, we allow ourselves the possibility of including and not excluding, of caring and not being indifferent. Now, the title for this message series I'm starting today has obvious allusions to the Occupy Wall Street movement and to the Occupy movement. Now, I don't know exactly what that movement is, and even people participating in it don't quite know yet what it is, and I think that's one of the promises of it. But what I have come to learn in the very least, and also at the best of what I believe the movement is about, it is about paying attention. It is about trying to recover that deep capacity, and I believe the best capacity within us, to ask that question, as we occupy our lives, are we also paying attention to the lives around us that are struggling and suffering? Now, I'm going to talk more about the Occupy movement in the weeks to come, but I want to end here for today. The final thing that I did on my retreat as an actual project of, yes, self-betterment, and not just sitting around eating taco chips, was going on retreat with Pema Chodron, the wonderful, insightful Buddhist teacher. Now, there was also a freak snowstorm, as we all know, last weekend, and the area where the retreat center was got over a foot of snow. So I only got to attend about half the retreat, but the half that I got was absolutely incredible. What I'm going to share with you now is something that I've shared, I think, once a year here at Wellsprings, because for me it is the most important insight into the spiritual life that I have ever received. Pema Chodron says that very often we conceive of the spiritual life as ascending upward and upward and upward, as if we were ascending to the top of the mountain. That is either, by the way, a pilot mountain or Cedar Rock Mountain. I climbed it. That's part of Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina. I climbed up it, and I climbed down the other side. She said that the only issue with this idea, this metaphor of the spiritual life is getting high, where we transcend all the pain of the world, and we experience purity and letting everything else go. The only problem is we have left everyone else behind, our pets who need us. She says, our alcoholic brother-in-laws, the people who suffer and struggle. She says, real spiritual maturity is not up and up and up. It is in fact the reverse, to imagine that the mountain is inverted. And that as we head deeper into our lives, it is not a matter of transcending all pain or transcending all suffering or other people's frustration but allowing ourselves to get in touch with it. Allowing ourselves not to be better than, but to allow ourselves to work with our struggles and our joys and other people's as well. She says, if it takes years, if it takes lifetimes, we awaken to the truth of this mountain that extends down and into the very heart of our lives. Because she says what we find there are healing waters at the very basis of everything. The healing waters of love that will not die. 
And when we open to that, we open our hearts. I believe that there is a deep ethic of caring and compassion in this understanding of spiritual maturity. And not just for other people, but most profoundly for ourselves. I see it as a wonderful response to a culture that has fallen in love with up, up and away. Calgon, take me away. I want to be more rich, more powerful, more beautiful, more this, more that than the others. But in fact, if we invert it, we find the only real path to liberation is to see ourselves in profound connection with these other people that we share this life with. Not to get high, but to become deep and to find that love there that cannot die. So today I encourage you only to do this. Only is in quotes. Occupy your lives. Vow not to check out. Know that this is a vow that only you can make and it is a vow that only you can take. No one else can do it for you. But if it is a vow that you take, recognize that there is something even more wonderful, which is that there are so many people who are willing to do the work with you and walk alongside you and, yes, take the weight off your pack when you need it and sometimes to ask you to take their weight as well. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O limitless source of kindness and loving compassion, may we extend that limitless quality into the very heart of our lives. That we will awaken to the truth of who we are, that we will have courage enough, that we will be a peaceful warrior enough to accept who we are and what is here for us in this moment. This radical self-acceptance is a deepest form of love that we can know. Because when we have it within ourselves, we perceive it in others, and we create a place of true hospitality in our lives. Today, let us take a small step in this direction. And then another step after that. And another step after that. More than anything, let us be here today. And let us know that that is good. Amen.